right. Well, we're going to look in First uh, John chapter two. We're going through First uh, John on uh, Wednesday nights, and uh, we're going to begin reading in uh, verse fifteen. We're looking at the Christian and his associations in First uh, John chapter two. In verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, uh, whereby we know that it is the last time. Uh, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out and they, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that, therefore, abide in you, uh, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye, sh ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. Uh, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Uh, but the anointing uh, which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that uh, when ye shall appear, uh, ye may, I'm sorry, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So the Christian is association. It's certainly clear that John is continuing his thought process of dealing with uh, the evidences or the proof of being a Christian. Uh, certainly John is not presenting that works pre will save us. Uh, we know that works does not save us. However, if a person gets saved, there are changes that come into the person's life immediately. And those changes continue to develop and grow and we get, as we mature in our walk with God. And so uh, he's dealing with the evidences that we are, they were children of God. He talked about in 1 John 1, our fellowship that we have with each other. And that fellowship is around Jesus Christ. He talks about our sin, how we have to deal with that sin because we can confess our sins and God will forgive us and cleanse us. He dealt with our advocate. Uh, we have Jesus Christ who is the mediator of our faith. Uh, he is interceding for us at the throne of grace. And now in this portion of chapter 2, 
He's dealing with associations, those that the believers were coming in contact with, those that were with them but then departed from them. How do they respond? How do they deal with these issues? And so he wanted them to understand how to deal with their associations. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He said, Romans deals with how we come out of the house of bondage. Ephesians is how we enter into the banqueting house. Hebrews is how we approach the throne of grace. 1 John is how we approach the divine presence. And I think sometimes we forget, as a Christian, we are in the divine presence of God continually. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, I'll send the comforter that he may abide with you. Uh, forever. And so God is always, the divine presence of God is always with us. There's never a moment in time as a believer where we're separated from the presence of the Almighty God. So we are, however, dealing with these associations in the world. We're certainly dealing with associations that change constantly. And so how do we uh, uh, deal with these things? First of all, he tells them, uh, warns them to avoid the world. In uh, verse 15 through uh, 17, notice he deals with, letter A there, the conflict of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the, the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's uh, clearly, immediately, there is a conflict that develops. And uh, when you get saved immediately, you're at odds with the world. As soon as you get saved, your thought process changes from what the world's idea of how we're supposed to live. And so there's immediate conflict that comes about. Uh, I, I've seen people get saved over the years. I've led people to the Lord, and, and then they come to you later, a few weeks later or a few months later, and they say, you know, everything was okay in my life until I got saved, and now I've got all kinds of problems. And I'm like, well, yeah, that goes with the territory. And uh, there are conflicts in the Christian life, and it's because of the fact that Christ, really to the world, Christ is looked at as the enemy. And certainly the followers of Christ are persecuted and, and, and judged because of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a conflict. He said, I want you to watch out, avoid the world, because you're dealing in the world, you're going to have conflicts. So notice he goes here, he says, the love, uh, love not the world. The word world there is the Greek word cosmos. And it literally deals with, it means, the meaning of it is that that is the system that leaves God out. And uh, uh, the world, it's not talking there about the globe in which we live is talking about the system that we have to deal with in where we live as far as a world that wants nothing to do with God and works every means they can to remove God from any presence or witness within their society. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, in whom the God of this world so the God of this system, the God of cosmos, the God, the God who is directing and manipulating the things that are going on in this planet, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so the conflict that we have in the world is we're trying to 
be light, and we're trying to illuminate people's hearts to reference who Christ is. The God of this world, though, the system of this world, is about trying to remove the light of Christ and trying to darken the minds of individuals and re, uh, refuse to allow them to come to a knowledge of who Christ is. And so if you're trying to live your life in a way that you're revealing who Christ is and the world system around us is living for the purpose of hindering or refusing the light of Christ coming about, immediately there's a conflict. And uh, certainly you can't get along uh, with both and be in agreement with the world. In John chapter 12, in verse 31, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then he says, If I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And so there is a casting out of uh, Satan. There is a casting out of this world system, uh, the philosophy of how it lives and everything else, in order to be able to walk into the, in the light of Jesus Christ. Lifting up Christ is what brings illumination to the world. Uh, and, and so we must live our life uh, not loving the world, not wanting to have everything that the world has to offer, but rather identifying this system that is manipulating all mankind is generated and energized by the working of Satan. And so I want to reprove the world. I don't want to couple myself up with the world because it's immediate conflict. So the word world means cosmos. It says here, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And uh, the word things means the elements that makes up the world system. And so, you know, we get so caught up in the elements of the world. Well, I mean, just what it is, whether it's entertainment, uh, whether it's recreation, whatever, whatever it may be, the things that are in this world, the elements of this world are so designed not to bring glory to God. And I just, I just thought it's been interesting since I've been saved and just watching over the years. Uh, I don't understand why it is when there's kids' sport teams that they always have to have their games on Wednesday night or on Sunday. It's always, always. I, I mean, I've watched kids get saved. I watch families get saved. They get into church, start growing in the Lord, and their kids start getting older. They start getting involved in sports. Next thing you know, they're not in church on Sunday. They're not in church on Wednesday because it's when their games are. That's an element of the world. And, and, and that's a very simple illustration of the elements of the world. But the world has all these actions and interactions and responses to what, the way they think you ought to live and certainly the way they desire to live because they don't know Christ and because of the fact that they're living in a system that is so designed to completely remove Christ, uh, then you get caught up in it. Now there's a conflict. There's immediate conflict. And so that's when you have to make a decision. And John is saying you need to realize how you associate with the world, how you respond to the world. Don't love the world. And certainly don't, don't be caught up in the, uh, the things that are in the world because they will draw you away from Christ. And that's how he's going to conclude this chapter with dealing with abiding in Christ. The focus of the Christian is associating with the Lord 
and not being identified with the world. So the conflict is that there is a world system that eliminates God and every aspect of the elements or the processes of uh, of, uh, movement within that world system uh, lives in rebellion against God. And then the problem is this, two masters are in conflict. Two masters are in conflict. Uh, you, you can't serve Jesus and you can't serve two masters. And, and you can't have it your, the way you want it. You can't have it both ways. Either you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Either you're going to live for God or you're not going to live for God. And, the, and who is controlling or dictating to your life and dominate your life is the master of your life. Whether it's, and he's going, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but whether it be the, you know, the uh, lust that is in the world or the, the lust of the flesh or the eyes or pride or whatever it may be, that's the conflict that you have to deal with. Is, is Christ going to be the boss of my life or am I going to be the boss of my life? Is Christ going to guide and direct my life or is Everything that's in the world going to direct my life. I, I get I get tickled out of these politicians. Everything they uh, try to present and everything else. It just it's in the move in America is this constant uh, overbearing involvement of manipulation and control of the government on the people, and and it's getting bad, and uh, that's and it is a conflict as a Christian. Because I'm not going to live my life according to the philosophy that's in the world. They're embracing all these different types of moral lifestyles and whatever it may be. I have to make a choice. Who's the boss? Who's the master? And so he said, there's a conflict in the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the things of the world. Uh, because of the fact that um, uh, if you do the, love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so what you're doing is replacing your dedication and resolve and commitment by a system that denies God rather than walking with God. So it's a constant conflict. You're never going to get out of the conflict with the world. And so the conflict of the world. In verse 16, he deals with the conduct of the world. He says, okay, this is what I'm warning you about. Avoid the world. don't, Don't love it. Uh, if you love the world, it, there's evidence that you're having a problem with your love with your, for your God. And so uh, here's the conduct that you got to watch out for, for all that is in the world. Notice he says all that is in the world. He didn't say some of the things in the world. For all that is in the world. People over the years, I've had people say, well, you know, not everything's bad in the world. Yes, it is. Everything is bad in the world. Even the things that are supposedly, quote unquote, good according to human knowledge and understanding, it's not good. Because when you compare it with scripture, it's violating scripture. And so he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So the conduct in the world, first of all, it deals with its conduct is the lust of the flesh. That just simply means the cravings of the body. And, uh, you know, Peter told uh, Cornelius when he knelt down before him, he says, stand up, I'm but a man also. And uh, certainly Peter understood that he was just an individual human being just like uh, Cornelius was. 
The Apostle Paul would write about the conflicts and struggles in Romans chapter 7 that he had in his flesh. That He said that in my flesh, there's no good thing. He's talking about what's in his body, the desires, the lusting, the cravings, the, 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 the wanting to solve, uh, fulfill certain drives within the body. The world says, go ahead and go for it. The world says, enjoy yourself, do whatever you want. And uh, I was listening to a radio program this morning, one of the talk radio shows or whatever, and they were talking to the guy who was on there, he's talking about drugs. He said, I don't understand why we don't legalize all drugs. I mean, somebody wants to take heroin, and he ought to be able to go to his doctor and get a prescription. I thought, how stupid can you be? I mean, really, how stupid can you be? That we literally are living in a world today that absolutely says, if you desire something in your body, just go ahead and do it. And then the Christian comes along and says, well, wait a minute. God's called us to be holy. God's delivered us from the bondage of sin. God enables us, as Paul says, I buffet my body and bring it in the subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should also be a castaway. And so the Bible tells us, as a believer... We control ourselves. We control this body that we live in. But the world says, no, no, you live according to the lust of the flesh. And so John is saying, you need to avoid the world because the world is, gonna, uh, is so structured to set you up to live according to the cravings of your body, whether it's physical, financial, sexual, or whatever it is. You just satisfy those desires and satisfy those longings. That's what the world teaches a couple of things about that, the lust of flesh. Letter A, it's subjective. Our sin nature is corrupt. And so because our sin nature uh, is corrupt, then our bodies are subject to the influence of our sin nature. And so our, it is a subjective type of position. And so uh, we have to be on guard that our sin nature is not directing or feeding, if you will, the lust that is in our flesh. So it's not only subjective, but letter B, it's also objective. Uh, that it is motivated by the influences around us. And so here we live in this fleshly body that's sold under sin. That's what Paul says. We live in this fleshly body and inside of me is a sin nature. And that sin nature is just feeding and wanting to uh, 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 let the body go and enjoy whatever it is. And you start fighting that thought process. Well, I really shouldn't do that. That's wrong. And then you have all the people on the outside that's in the world influencing you and challenge you and motivating you to do that. I'm, I'm, I will never forget. I will never forget. Uh, the first time that somebody told me to get a six-pack of beer. I'll never forget it. I still can see that friend of mine. We're, I'm driving my 69 Chevelle. It was nice. Amen. And uh, he's sitting in the seat, and he says, Mike, let's get a six-pack of beer. I told him. I, I can see the whole thing. The whole scenario is unfolding in front of my eyes right now. And I told him, I said, I don't want no beer. I don't drink. And he told me that, he says, oh, well, come on, Mike, one beer won't hurt anything. And so I said, well, okay. So I pulled up, and we were all underage. 
went in and bought a six-pack of beer, and I drank that one beer and became an alcoholic. See, subjectively, subjectively, my sin that was in me subjectively by sin nature was saying, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. And I'm saying, no, 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 I don't do that. I don't do that. And then objectively, he's on the outside saying, come on, Mike, what's the matter with you? You need, you know, it's no big deal. You need, you need to go along with things and you need to drink. And John is saying, now you need to know that you got saved out of the world. And because you got saved out of the world, then you do not live in reference to the lust of the flesh. And so Christians, we must, we must. I, I tell you, you can read all the statistics, you can do all the study, you can do all the research, and I could put all the statistics in here. The problem in the church of Jesus Christ in 2019 is because Christians are justifying sinful conduct. Period. And I could stand up here and read off statistics. I could stand up here and tell you what's going on in people's lives and just over and over and over again. And it is nothing more than succumbing to the influence of the world, not avoiding the world. The lust of the flesh. I mean, it is manipulating, controlling, capturing, and destroying Christian lives. Because it will not avoid the world. You got to get out of the world. You got to stay away from it because there is nothing good in the world. And so he says, the lust of the body. He says, the lust of the eyes. So the lust of the flesh is the body. Of course, it's very simple to understand. The lust of the eyes is the cravings uh, of the eyes, what you can see. People say, well, it doesn't matter what I look at. Yes, it does, because everything you see goes in the eye gate and affects your thought process. Whether it be, you know, going to movies and seeing things that are inappropriate, whether it be listening to music that is inappropriate. And and don't, don't argue with me that it doesn't affect you, because I'm the one that has to do the counseling. When people refuse to listen to what the Word of God has to say, and they mess their life up. And after it's all messed up, then it's like, preacher, can you straighten this out for me? It would have been a whole lot easier just not to put the things in front of your eyeball to begin with. Notice in Psalm 101, in verse 2 and 3, says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. And that is the issue in our day of social media. Everything is before our eyes. Everything. You gotta be careful what you do on your computer. You gotta be careful how you do searches on your computer. You get an email and you don't know who it's from. It goes in the garbage. I don't open up anything. If I don't know who it is and I don't know what's going on, I don't look at it. I get phone calls, I don't know the number, I don't answer them. I get texts, I don't know who it is, and it just has some link or something there, it's deleted. 
I will not allow myself to have deliberately wicked things put in the front of my eyes because of the fact that once you do, it will entice you to do something that is wrong and you will not walk wisely. And so he says, watch out, avoid the world in your body, Enjoy, avoid the world with your eyes, visual enticements. And then he says this, the pride of life. The pride of life is the cravings of the soul. The cravings of the soul, the pride of life. Boy, we really think pretty good of ourselves. <laughs> I know, I always thought I was pretty good. Now, I used to call my wife when we were dating, I said, yeah, this is Mike Waggle, the great and wonderful. <laughs> And, uh, of course, I was joking. I was very humble about it. No, I wasn't humble at all. Very prideful. Psalm 10 and 4 says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. And so just as destructive as our fleshly desires are because of the influence of the world and the sin nature that is in us, just as influential and destructive as our eye gate being enticed by what we see, it is equally destructive in reference to our soul not being right with God and being prideful, want to be a braggart, want to be boastful of what we are. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There is nothing more prideful. There is nothing more destructive than for someone to be so caught up in their pride that they refuse to acknowledge that there is a God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He said, watch out. The world is a system that denies God, removes God, refuses God, and goes after anybody who wants to walk with God. So watch out for your pride because your pride will put you in a position where you think you don't need God anymore. C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We are pilgrims. We say in this home, we're just pilgrims passing through. And uh, we're, this, is, this world is not our home. This, this is not where we live. We live in heaven. We're not, we're not people of this planet. We're the people of God through faith in Christ. And so we live in reference to the home where we're going, not where we're living in this world. So he deals with this matter of avoiding the world. Notice he deals with the condemnation of the world. In verse 17, he says, The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the condemnation of the world is it has a destructive end. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. In Revelation 21, Jesus said, uh, John wrote that he saw a new heaven and earth descending from heaven. And because the former things were passed away. I remember I was talking to Jehovah Witness one day, trying to lead them to the Lord. And they were talking about, well, you know, no, we're living, we're going to have eternal life living on this earth and all this, that, and the other. And I said, well, is that true? I said, let's look at Revelation. John said, I saw a new heaven and new earth. Why? Because the former things were passed away. I said, this earth you're looking to live on isn't going to be here. It's going to be gone. The condemnation of the world is because it is corrupt and it's anti-God and it refuses to acknowledge God. God said that he will bring it to an end. But there is an eternal reward 
but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So here, here's once again that whole thing of the conflict that develops. Am I going to do the will of the world or am I going to do the will of God? Doing the will of God and puts me in a position of enjoying an eternal reward. So watch out, avoid the world. Number two, he says this in verse 18 and 19. Aware uh, of Antichrist. Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And so beware of Antichrist. Their description is very clear. They're prevalent in the last days. And as we get closer to the return of Christ, uh, the more false prophecies will be presented, the false teachers will be present. And Peter says, tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 and 4, he says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Prevalent uh, in the last days, antichrist. And any system, any person who refuses to acknowledge that God is real and that Christ is the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world, is an antichrist. They're antichrist. They're not just a different religion. They're antichrist. And he goes on, not only is it prevalent in the last days, but it's betrayed as being anti. In other words, the word anti means against something or someone. And he, that's why he says antichrist. He's saying they are against Christ. Second John in verse 7 says, And many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Just recently had someone come here to church, and I shared it a while ago, a few weeks ago. But they came to church, and they told me they've been visiting different churches and they said for like three, four months, five months, something like that, they had been going to different churches. And he said this, when they came to this church, it was the first time in four or five months that they had been in church that they heard the name of Jesus from the pulpit. Now, that's a shame. And these are people who will call themselves evangelical Christians. But they will not name Jesus Christ. They're antichrist. Because there is only one who is the Savior of the world, and that is Jesus Christ. And the Antichrist are portrayed as being against Christ instead of or imitation of something or someone. And so they refuse to acknowledge the working of Christ. Then the proportion of Antichrist is in Matthew 24 and 5 as far as they're, they will increase. Their numbers will rise of how many people will be against the Lord. You know, it just, it's interesting to watch. Being saved for 35 years and being involved in soul winning, it's interesting to look at the difference in the response of people. We used to be able to go out doors knocking and knock on doors, and you lead people to the Lord every week. And people come into the church. Now you go out knocking on doors, and you got to knock on a door, a lot of doors to get somebody to talk to you to begin with. 
And then if you do get them to talk to you, to try to get them saved, boy, what a challenge. And it is because of the fact that there's so many false prophecies and so much heresy in the world, they're very skeptical. People are skeptical about what you're trying to present to them. But the Holy Spirit of God, we're going to see in a moment, uh, is greater than that uh, uh, friction and that resistance to the gospel of Christ. So their description, we see their departure in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. John just says this, the reason why they didn't continue with the church of Jesus Christ, the reason why they didn't continue in the fellowship with the believers with Christ is because they were never a part of them to begin with. And uh, we believe in the security of the believer. I hold to that strongly. I will not uh, teach or take a position that people can lose their salvation. But I am afraid there's a lot of people who supposedly got saved that no longer in the church that just weren't saved to begin with. Now, I don't know who they are because I can't see a person's heart. But there, listen, everything in this book says that if a person gets saved, Everything is new. They're committed to Christ. They have a love for God. They're devoted to the Lord. They're convicted by the Spirit of God. And if none of those things are evident, if none of those things are taking place, they departed because they weren't part of us. You say, boy, that's hard. I didn't say it. John said that. Their departure, number one there, religion must be converted to a relationship. And that's what the problem is. Many people are looking for a religion and they think they're finding their religion and they miss out completely on their relationship. Jesus said you must be born again. That's a relationship. Number two, their position must be replaced with a pardon. And uh, we need the pardon of God. We need Christ to forgive us and cleanse us and not hold our sin against us and the only way that takes place is when we receive Christ as our Savior, he forgives and cleanses and releases us from all of our sin. So it's not about what position, like the Pharisees are worried about their religion. They were worried about their position. No, no, it's about a relationship based on the pardon that God gives us. And then kinship will always lead to reconciliation. I, I love the book of Ruth. And whenever you read of Ruth, you read about Boaz. And Ruth was a Moabite woman. And to think that of a Moabite who was the descendant of Lot's illegitimate relationship with his daughter, here is this woman who becomes a major individual in the lineage of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's all because of the fact that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. And as the kinsman redeemer, he brought reconciliation to the family, brought reconciliation with God. And so their departure was because of the fact they did not have a kinship. And because there was no kinship, then there was no reconciliation. Well, then he ends the chapter we're dealing with this matter of abiding in Christ. So what's the answer, basically? What is the solution to avoiding the world and being aware of Antichrist and be able to be able to continue on my faith? First of all, we abide in Christ, letter A, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Notice he says in verse 20, 
He says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. In verse 27, he says, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And so the anointing of God, how important it is for us to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one who has promised to abide with us. He is the one who has promised that he would be our teacher. He is the one who has promised that he would bring all things to remembrance whatsoever Christ had taught us. And so we need a refreshing and anointing of the Spirit of God building our relationship with Jesus Christ. We abide in Christ. He is the branch. He is the vine, I'm sorry. He's the vine and we're the branches. How do we abide in Christ? It's through the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. By the instructing of the Word of God. Notice in verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth. It's amazing that John is stating these things. And he's stating things that he knows they already know. He said, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. He's reminding them, I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm teaching what you already know, but I'm reminding you a lie is a lie. And a lie is not of the truth. And so don't allow the world and don't allow the Antichrist to, to bring into your life a lie that perverts the truth of the word of God. And so uh, instructing of the word. Let her see there by trusting of the son. In verse 22 says, who is a liar? But he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. He's a liar. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning and shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And so they're teaching the trusting of the Word of God in reference to who Christ is, we abide in Christ. That is the foundation, and that is the source of strength, and that is uh, the leadership in our life, is trusting the Lord over and over again. Then by the rejecting of the seducer, in verse 25, he says, and this is the promise that he hath promised us, e even eternal life. And these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. He's like, you need to reject them. Somebody comes along and says, yea, hath God said. Remember, that's what the devil said to Eve in the garden. Yea, hath God said. They always get tickled how people don't know anything about the Bible, but as soon as somebody gets saved and starts living for the Lord, they come along and say, well, the Bible doesn't teach that. How do you know? You didn't read it. You don't know what's in the word of God. And they come along and say, well, yeah, do you have to live that way? No, just get away from me. Just shoo them away. Stay away from the seducers. Uh, reject them. Uh, don't try to allow yourself to be drawn in by them. And then by the exercising of righteousness. That's why he says in verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So he's just given a, 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 a claim here of how you can uh, evaluate who you are and what your relationship with the Lord. If Christ is righteous and we've received the character of Christ, then doesn't it stand be reasonable that we are living a right, we need to live a righteous life? Andrew Murray said this, a soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in him. But much occupied with Jesus and believe much in him as the true uh, vine. And so literally he's telling us that if our thought process is strongly focused on Christ, then it is a natural process of how we live our life abiding in Christ and enables us to get over the world. It is only into the thirst of an empty soul that the streams of living waters flow. Ever thirsting is the secret of never thirsting. I read that, I thought, that's pretty good, I like that. The more you thirst for Christ, the more he'll satisfy your, your thirst, and the more he'll give you a deeper thirst for more things of who he is. Uh, don't allow the world to rob you from that. A.B. Simpson said this, The blessed Lord uh, uh, condensed it in, uh, all into one single message of eternal comfort spoken to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. It is I, be not afraid. Uh, he is the antidote of fear. He is the remedy for trouble. He is the substance of the sum of deliverance. We should therefore rise above fear. Let us keep our eyes fastened upon him. Let us abide continually in him. Let us be content with him. Let us cling closely to him and cry, Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. So this matter of the anointing of God, instructing of God, trusting in Christ, rejecting the seducers, exercising the righteousness of Christ revolves around the concept of abiding in Christ. Everything we are, everything we desire, everything that we enjoy is based on our relationship in Christ. So the Christian and his associations. Well, I hope that's it. We didn't go through all the verses, but you can do a study there and look up those verses and it'll be a help for you to have a deeper study in that. But our associations, there is nothing... Uh, that is more difficult than for us to overcome our associations as a Christian. And the world is always ready to draw you away from the Lord.